morning, church. Good morning. I hate to break up what's going on. I really do. But we get to, uh, we get to dig into the word this morning. We get to talk about continuing uh, Joseph. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Father, we are so grateful to be here. We are grateful that you have made us a family. Uh, we come together uh, in celebration uh, to be able to look to you uh, because you are, you're here with us. Spirit, you want to teach us and you, we pray that you soften our heart, that you make it so that we would be able to respond to your teaching uh, from the word as we look at the life of Joseph. Uh, we're, we're so thankful that you're going to do that in our lives this morning, that it's not up to me, it's up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so when I was a kid, uh, I'd go to my grandparents and I'd visit them and they had a next door neighbor and his name was Carl. And Carl was a farmer. I remember he was, uh, he was strong, right? He had this, like, these meaty hands and they were, they were calloused uh, and uh, he was a hard worker. Uh, the thing about Carl is that he loved Jesus. He was a faithful follower of Jesus. I remember whenever he would see me, he would get down, because I was a little kid, right? He'd get down to my level. I just remember, like, when he would speak, his words just sounded so kind. They were just so full of compassion. See, he was, on one hand, a farmer, a real-life farmer. That's how he made his living. But then Jesus also called him to be a different kind of farmer. See, his faithfulness, his love for Jesus, it overflowed in his life. It just, it, it, it overflowed in his circumstances and the people that he brushed up against in his relationships with people, with me. Like, it, it overflowed. And so he was obedient to Jesus. And when he was obedient to Jesus in his life, in all those circumstances, it was like he was planting these seeds of faith in our lives, in people's lives, over and over again. He was generous, and so he would plant seeds. And he didn't have to worry about what those seeds would grow into. He didn't have to worry about how it was going to grow or what it was going to grow into. He just had to be faithful to plant those seeds in whatever situation of life that God gave him. And again and again, he did that. And one day, I was visiting my grandparents, and my grandpa says, Garrett, that's my real name, he'd always call me Garrett, Garrett, we got to go see Carl, he's dying. Okay, I was 11. I wasn't, uh, I didn't meet Jesus, I wasn't a believer until I was 17. And I can tell you, at 11 years old, I remember being terrified of death. I didn't want to think about it, I didn't want to talk about it, I certainly didn't want to go see someone who was doing it. <laughs> and my, my grandfather, but he drugged me over there, and I remember going into the living room, and, there, and Carl was on his bed, and he was, I remember he was like looking up, and I just remember his face, he just looked so happy. He looked so peaceful. There was so much joy in his face. It didn't, it didn't compute in my mind. I didn't understand how that would be possible. And he stared up the entire time, looking that same way, and he held my hand with his meaty paws, right, and he gripped it hard, and then he, he held my grandfather's hand, and he, he, the only time that he ever stopped looking up was he looked over to my grandpa, and he said, he said, Alan, I'm going home. He died two days later 
And there was the memorial, and it was amazing. It was so good, right? There were so many people that stood up and talked about Carl. They talked about the difference that he made in his life. They talked about how God changed their, their lives through Carl and his faithfulness to them and, the, and his planting of seeds. Six years later, then I was 17 years old, I became a believer. And when I became a believer, I remember looking back at that time with Carl when he was on that deathbed. And I remember thinking that those few words that he spoke were these tiny little seeds that he planted in my life. The look on his face, it was like these tiny little seed that he planted in my life and God grew that. He expanded that in my life, and there was a harvest. There was a bounty of this harvest in my life because of it. And I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and tell Carl all about it. I wanted to tell him that, that his extended, his blessing, his, his faithfulness, that he, that he planted those seeds in me. God grew that in me. I wanted to go back and, and the memorial. I wanted to tell those people. I, the thing about this is that God's harvest from Carl's faithfulness, it expanded and it went beyond his lifetime. It went beyond his little plot of land, his little circumstance, his little uh, circumstances and relationship that, that God gave him. It went beyond his little plot of land that he was to be faithful to. It expanded way beyond that. The same can be true for us in our circumstances and in our relationships. We can, we, plant, we can plant seeds of faithfulness. We can plant seeds of obedience to Jesus, of righteousness, of love, no matter what plot of land that we might have or where God has placed us. And then we can trust God to grow those seeds beyond us, beyond our lifetime, beyond our little plot of land that he's given to us. This was Carl, and this is absolutely true of Joseph as well. Joseph, what he did, what we've been looking at for the last several weeks, is he planted seeds of faithfulness again and again, no matter where he was, no matter who he interacted with, he planted seeds of faithfulness. If you remember, uh, Jacob is his father, and uh, Joseph is the favored son of Jacob. His brothers begin to despise him for that. Uh, he was given a, a special coat, if you remember, and he's given a couple of dreams too. And it, it sounded like uh, to his brothers that it was possible that his brothers might bow down to Joseph, and they didn't like that, and they began to despise him even more. And so they, they had a plot, and they had opportunity, and they decided that they were gonna kill him. So they threw him down this old well. And then they decided, well, if we're going to get rid of him, we might as well make a little bit of money out of the situation. So they pulled him out of the well, not to save him, but to sell him to some slave traders. And he was brought to Egypt and he was sold to Potiphar. He becomes a slave in Egypt. And so Joseph was brought there as a slave and he ends up being diligent in his work. He worked hard. He was honorable. Whatever he did, it says that he was successful at it. He was a successful slave because Joseph was faithful to God. See, that word faithful, the way that we use it, the way we mean when we say it is that someone is steadfast, loyal in their affection, loyal in their allegiance. Joseph was certainly loyal, wasn't he? He was steadfast to his devotion to Potiphar. Even when Potiphar's wife or made advancements on Joseph. He said, no, he was faithful to Potiphar. He was faithful to God. How could I do that to God? 
He was faithful to righteousness day after day after day, not thinking of himself, not thinking of how to leverage this for his benefit, not thinking about where this would get him or change anything for his situation. But he was faithful and he planted seeds again and again and again. And you would think that his faithfulness would pay off. You would think that the righteous would prosper, that all would be well. Instead, he goes to prison unjustly. He's accused for a crime that he did not commit, and he goes to prison wrongly convicted. And then what does Joseph do? He's faithful. He's faithful as a wrongly convicted prisoner, and he becomes a successful inmate. And, he, and you would think then that then now his faithfulness would pay off. Now he would prosper, and all would be well. Instead, he's forgotten. You remember this? The cupbearer? He tells the cupbearer right before he goes out of prison, he says, when you, when you go before Pharaoh, remember me. Put a good word in to Pharaoh for me. He's the only one that could get me out of this situation. But instead, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And he's forgotten for two more years. He's forgotten. He's left in prison for two more years. Now, suddenly, there's a change in the story, right? At just the right time, Joseph is remembered because Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. Now, we know what is about to happen is there's going to be seven years of a plentiful harvest. And after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. So right before those 14 years are, are going to happen, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And no one can tell him what those dreams mean, or at least he's not satisfied with the interpretation of those dreams. And so the cupbearer is like, oh, wait, I remember this guy in prison. And he gets remembered. I remember this guy, Joseph. And so Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and Joseph tells him what the dreams mean. And he says, like, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Here's the plan. This is what we should do. And Pharaoh's like, that sounds like a pretty good plan. I think I should put you in charge of it. And so he makes Joseph second in command of all of Egypt. And Joseph gets to work in his new job. Now, remember, he's a foreigner. Right? He, his, his family's back in Canaan. He doesn't even know if his, his father is still alive uh, or if he's dead. The entire time, you think about it too, the entire time Joseph has spent in this foreign country as a sojourner, he's either been a prisoner or he's been a slave. But what's he do? He gets to work. He gets to work preparing for the famine and collecting grain. He is faithful in this new position not knowing how God is exactly going to grow this or to the proportions that God is going to grow this seed, but it doesn't have to. He's just faithful and he keeps planting those seeds. He is loyal and steadfast in his role. And he does a really good job. If you remember, he, he collects so much grain that he loses count of it. It's, it's overflowing, it's bulging at the seams and then the famine hits and it's bad, it's bad. It affects the whole known region of that area, including Canaan, where his family is. And so his brothers are sent to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph sees them, and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Man, if this was like a Hollywood movie, it's, it's about this time in the movie where like the revenge plot begins to unfold. Man, they're going to get what's coming to them, right? Because you think about it, Joseph has the power now, doesn't he? He has the power to be able to imprison. He has the power to be able to enslave. He's got the power to be able to execute if he wants. He has authority. He does. He says he's the second in command. He says people do. But what does Joseph do instead? He calls his brothers close, and he says, I'm Joseph. 
whom you sold. And he forgives them and there's reconciliation. He's, he's generous with them. He blesses them. In a word, he is faithful to them and continues in their lives to plant seeds. He is loyal despite their lack of loyalty to him in the past. Okay, and then Pharaoh hears that Joseph's brothers are here in Egypt, and he tells Joseph, hey, send your brothers back and get your whole family. Get, get all the family and bring them all to Egypt, and I'm going to provide for them, uh, and I'm going to give them the best land in Egypt. And this is where we left off last week. And we pick up the story with Jacob. He's packing up his entire family, all his possessions, all their herds, and he's beginning the trip to Egypt and beginning to, he's going to begin to experience. And we're going to be able to, we're starting to see now the seeds of faithfulness that Joseph has planted for years and years and years. We're beginning to see these things grow. And we're beginning to see the harvest that God has for them in all of this. And it's turning into his, his planting of seeds turns into this thing that is God's harvest in their life. So we have a few raised beds in our backyard. And uh, the very first year that I put them in, uh, I really, I wanted to plant pumpkins. I planted way too many pumpkin plants. Uh, and I remember that it was like, I, it was the morning and I planted the seeds. And then by afternoon, I'm like, well, I'm looking, right? I'm anxious. I, I want those things to grow. Like the next morning, I'm looking to see any change at all. And if anyone knows anything about planting, you know, it takes a while. It takes a while. It felt like it took like two years for those pumpkins to grow, uh, right? But finally, we begin to see growth and the vines begin to spread and we begin to see pumpkins. And one of the things that happened with the first year was that a couple of the vines begin to grow through the neighbor's fence. And I was like, oh man, I should do something about that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the neighbors would like that very much, but I never did anything about it. I just let it grow because I was so excited about the harvest of pumpkins. The following year, we're getting ready to plant. The neighbor comes out and he says to me, planting pumpkins, huh? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I noticed uh, last year some vines growing on my property. I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry about that. He's like, sorry? What are you sorry about? There was like a bunch of pumpkins on our side. And my, my kids came out, and they were able to pick them, and they carved them, and it was awesome. He's like, please do it again. So now every year when I plant pumpkins, I try to get one vine to like go through that fence like to, to bless them too. I don't know. I can't tell if there's any pumpkins on that side or not. Right? But the last several weeks in the story of Joseph, that we've gone through, we've seen him planting seeds. He's making investments of integrity, making investments uh, of righteousness. And now in the story, we get to see the harvest that God has created from the planting of those seeds and how the vine that God is growing from those seeds begins to grow through the neighbor's fences. That's what we get to talk about today. It's all the reaping. It's the harvest that God grows from his seeds, and it comes in so many different ways. You can follow along in your notes. Uh, it's not on the screen. This is what we started to see last week. The first thing that we see in the harvest is Joseph and his brothers are reunited. His family is fed. They're saved. They're, going, they're not going to starve to death uh, during the famine. Years, think about years of Joseph planting these seeds of faithfulness in his life, not knowing how it's going to grow, but all the while, all the while, unbeknownst to Joseph, God is growing those seeds in order that the very ones who are trying to get rid of Joseph are saved. That should remind us of somebody else, 
right? And we will revisit this this morning. We will revisit this in the coming weeks as well. And then the harvest begins to grow even more. Pharaoh invites the whole family of, of Israel to come to Egypt. He sends them uh, grain. If you remember Pastor Bob talking about sending moving vans, right? He sends wagons to them to help them uh, move and, and come to Egypt. And Jacob and his whole family, this tiny little baby nation of Israel, and all their possessions, they start to make their way to Egypt. In the beginning of chapter 46 and verse 1, it says, So Israel, that's, this is Jacob, remember he got his name changed, took his journey with all that he had and he came to Beersheba and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. So Jacob stops on the way. He stops and he makes sacrifices uh, to God at this place called Beersheba. That is about a 25-mile journey from Hebron where they're living. So for, after 25 miles, they come to Beersheba uh, and Beersheba is like right on the edge of this vast, expanse of desert going from Beersheba all the way to Egypt. It's right on the edge of the promised land. It's right on the edge of this huge thing that Jacob is about to do. He's about ready to leave the land that God promised and gave to him. So he probably has some sort of apprehension, you think? He maybe has some sort of like questions about what is the wisdom in this and should I do it? Right, obviously, Jacob has some kind of reservation about going there because God shows up to Jacob in a vision here at Beersheba and he tells him a couple of really important promises about the move. Verse three, then he says, I am God. I love that. He says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. First of all, he says, I am God. I'm God. You don't need to be afraid. I'm God, and I will be with you, and I will make you into a great nation. Where? I will make you into a great nation there. See, God isn't putting a pause. He's not putting a pause on his promises. He's not deviating from his plan in any way. The famine is not a break away from the promises of God. God isn't going to grow them into a great nation in the land of Canaan, of the promised land. God reassures Jacob that great things await them in the nation of Israel there. And I'm going to do good things, he says to him. I'll be true to my word and you will be multiplied. And there, there in Egypt, I will make you into a great nation. Then I won't leave you there either. I'm going to come back with you. I will bring you back and I will be true to my word about the land that I promised as well. And then the harvest grows and it extends. Joseph is reunited with his father. And this part just it paints such this amazing picture of God's blessings and, and how his blessings are a lot of times given through human hands, like Carl, like Joseph. That in our planting of seeds, God uses us to be agents of his blessings for others. This is Genesis 46, 29. It says, then Joseph prepared his chariot. Okay, so his family has come to Egypt now, and Joseph is getting ready to go see him. To reconnect with his father for the first time. Then Joseph prepared his chariot, and he went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself 
to him. That word presented is also translated appearance or appears. And it's very exceptional here in this story. With all the other stories of the patriarchs, this word uh, appearance is used to describe uh, an encounter between a human and God in some way. Genesis chapter 12, 18, 22, 26, 35. This is the only time it is used in the accounts of the patriarchs to describe an encounter between two human beings, Jacob and Joseph. See, Joseph is the agent of God's blessing. He just has to be faithful. Joseph is being sent by God. God is with Joseph, empowering Joseph, using Joseph to bring about a harvest of blessing. And then the harvest, it just continues to grow. The entire nation of Israel is blessed. Joseph's whole extended family is then brought to Egypt. And when this happens, then Joseph has a plan. He tells Pharaoh uh, uh, that his family are all shepherds, and he, he tells his brothers to say the same thing. We're, we're going we're gonna, to like, uh, be on the same page here. I'm going to tell Pharaoh this. You're going to tell Pharaoh the same thing. So he invites his dad, and he invites five of his brothers to go to Pharaoh with him and to talk to him. And before he goes, he's like, here's the plan. Here's what you should say. This is Genesis 46, 33. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Because he's obviously going to be interested in that. You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers. Here's why. In order. He says, in order. Here's why. That you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And this is exactly what happens. Chapter 50, 47, verse 3, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. Verse 5, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And then this idea of the best of the land is repeated again in verse 11. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. Note, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. See, it's driving the point home. The harvest that God is producing is being poured out on the little tiny nation of Israel. They're not just surviving. They're not just being fed. They're given land, the best of the land, to care for their flocks. And the other thing about that land being out in the fields, that it affords them separation from the rest of the Egyptian population so they can be their own people and they, they can be separate from, from, the, from their religions and, and from their life and they're given jobs. <laughs> Pharaoh says at the end of verse 6, if you know any able men among them, I'll put them in charge of my livestock too. Right? They're given food during a worldwide famine. That's verse 12. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of the father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Their possessions increased. This is chapter 47, verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it. They were fruitful, and they multiplied greatly. This goes back to the promises uh, uh, that God gave to Abraham, that he reiterated to Jacob. Nothing is going to keep God from fulfilling his promises. Nothing is going to keep him from fulfilling his promises. Not exile, not a famine, nothing can stop God's promises. One of the really cool things that we see in this harvest is that uh, Egypt is going to afford Israel certain things that are a little bit unexpected, like protection and provision 
right? I mean, like, protection from, like, marauders and, and invading nations and things like that. I mean, the, the nation of Israel at this time is this tiny little family. Who, who wants to attack them now? But as the years go on, as the numbers of them grow and increase, then they're going to be more and more of a target. See, Egypt shelters them from that. They don't need to worry about land for their livestock. They don't need to be concerned uh, for establishing government and the complexities of infrastructure and funding and all that stuff. They're given protection and provision as an infant nation. In chapter 46, verses 8 through 26, it's a whole list of Jacob's entire extended family and all the people that are coming to Egypt. Verse 27 gives the final number. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. That's it. It's a nation of 70 people, right? They're this minuscule little nation when they move to Egypt, but by the time that God is ready to deliver them and bring them back to the promised land, about 400 years later, there is going to be at least a million, if not millions. And they take with them most of the riches of Egypt too when they leave. So it turns out that the time in Egypt is not an interruption for God's promises to Israel. It's more like an incubation. See, God doesn't hit the pause button to his blessings in Israel when they go to Egypt. He's using this move, even though it may look, see, here's the point, it may look like a step backwards. But God is using it instead of a step backwards. God is using to advance his blessings, both for Israel and, and for the rest of the world. And so we see this harvest extending and growing and going way beyond Israel. The harvest continues to grow and all of Egypt is saved. Verse 13, now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph begins to receive money for the grain, selling the grain until the money runs out. And then Joseph begins to barter and trade and, and receive uh, their possessions like their livestock uh, for an entire year. And the next year when that runs out, then the people come to Joseph and they say, take our land and take us in exchange for our food. Verse 18, the Egyptians tell Joseph, nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and we'll... And we, with our land, will be servants to Joseph. See, some people, they read this and they're like, they kind of look down on Joseph about what he did to the Egyptians. But this was not Joseph's idea. The Egyptians came to him. This was their idea, their plan. So it's agreed. And it says that the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. And then they're given seed. And they're told, plant the seed, harvest your crops, uh, and in the future, when you harvest this, you're to pay Pharaoh one-fifth of those crops. So Pharaoh owns the land, he owns the people, and he owns 20% of all future harvests. Okay, 20% each harvest in exchange for their lives and their families' lives. That's not a bad trade. All of Egypt is saved and they didn't starve, and the people didn't grumble about the 20%. Instead, Joseph is a national hero, and they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. See, they would have died if it wasn't for God using Joseph, not only to bless Israel, but all of Egypt as well. And then it doesn't stop there. 
the blessing, the harvest of the, of the faithfulness that, that Joseph kept planting over and over again. It continues to grow beyond the borders of Egypt. More nations then come to Egypt and they are fed. Man, here's a question that I thought a lot about this last week. How on earth was Joseph so faithful? And if we are to be like Joseph, how on earth are we to be that faithful? In all those crazy circumstances, in all those dark times, in all those ways in which it seemed like these step backwards, how did he remain faithful? How do we remain faithful? There's a lot of different directions that we could go with that this morning. We're going to look at just one. In order to plant seeds of faithfulness, we need to live a life of faith. See, in all the going downs, this is what I mean, in all the going downs, if you remember of Joseph, he went down into the well, down into slavery, down into prison. What we can see in this story very clearly, though, is that there is more to life than meets the eye. Is that not true? More than appearances. All the going downs of Joseph, it was God sending. It was God planning. And there was not an ounce of evil in God's conception. There was not even an ounce of evil in the implementation of this plan. There wasn't an ounce of evil in the fulfilling of those plans. Even the evil that Joseph suffered, it turns out that God used that for good. We see it so clearly in the story. Joseph even says it exactly word for word in chapter 50. What you meant for evil, God meant for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, it's easy for us to see it in the life of Joseph because it's written down for us and then we get to just read the end of the story. It's easy to see it in the life of, uh, of someone like Carl. Because we can see the bigger picture of his life and we can see beyond his life. And it's easy for us then to be able to see. Not so easy for us when the story of our lives, when the story of our families, when the story of our careers, our neighborhoods, our nation, when our stories, they're not written down for us so that we can read them so that we can read them ahead and see how things turn out. Like not so easy when our current circumstances might appear to be so wrong, like these backward steps that we're facing. Not so easy for us to remember God and be faithful to him when our circumstances are easy and convenient as well. So the temptation for us to believe that is the only way for us then, uh, for us to think about our circumstances then, the only way for us to think about uh, the page of life that we are on right now, the, the, the only way for us is, to, is by looking at it and judging it and thinking about it and feeling about it by appearances, by the way it looks and the way that it feels, and that is just simply not true. You look at Joseph so many times in Egypt, it feels like this step backwards, but it's not. It's a nobody Hebrew on his way to have an audience with the Pharaoh of Egypt, a nobody Hebrew to be second in command of all of Egypt. And Jacob, think about Jacob moving out of the land of the promise. To, right, to be foreigners in Egypt, it seems like this big step backwards, but it's not. It's God fulfilling his promises. And moving ahead 
with providing and leading his people. Many times in our lives, we can feel like we're, we're taking these steps backwards. I mean, there's a million little things on any given day that, that can, we can be tempted to think that they're like little micro steps backwards and it can challenge us in the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we can be steps backwards with, with our time that we, that we spend and with our efforts and with our thoughts. And, and what about big ones? What about big, what about what appears to be these big step backwards, like what's going on in the world? Global politics, gas prices, inflation, COVID, governments, local city decisions that they're making, uh, illnesses, disease, pain, struggle. What about challenges in our relationships? How about when people hurt us? How about when people sin against us? That can feel like a painful step backward, right? Yeah, you mean like being sold by your brothers? By being wrongly accused? It can have all the appearances of backward steps in our lives. It makes me think of the cross, right? See, Joseph just points to Jesus. The seeds of faithfulness planted by Joseph, that they, they grow beyond his lifetime and they extend way beyond his little plot of land that God has given to him. The harvest extends and it leads to King David and then it goes beyond that and goes to King Jesus. And Jesus, like Joseph, doesn't he descend too? Doesn't he go down? He goes down as a servant, as one falsely accused, as a prisoner to be executed even though he himself was innocent. But what man meant for evil, God meant for the ultimate good for the whole world, all of humankind, eternally through the faithfulness and the obedience of Jesus. See, his humility and his servanthood and his, his love, his faithfulness, even during the darkest times of his life, even when it seemed from the world's perspective that it was this horrible, giant step backward, he was faithful. He was faithful he, all the while, all the while saving the very ones who were trying to get rid of him. See, what seemed like the worst step backward on the Friday the cross ends up being the greatest blessing of all humankind on that Sunday. And we get to celebrate it in two weeks. See, here's the big idea of the sermon. When we are faithful today, God will bless others tomorrow. We don't have to worry about how it grows. We just have to, we just have to think about what God has, where he's brought us and who he's brought us to and who we brush up against and the resources that we have been given and then apply those things to be faithful to him today and God will take care of the rest. But maybe like Joseph, there's something in your life that you're dealing with and it just appears wrong. It, it appears unjust or unfair or this step backwards. Scripture tells us though as we walk in this life, we walk by faith, not by sight. So many times in our life, we're, we're taking these, these awkward, clumsy steps, aren't we? These frustrating steps because we're using our sight. We're using by what appears and by what it looks like. And we're taking these clumsy steps and they can be so frustrating. It can be discouraging when we try to like walk according and, and direct our life according to only by what we see and how it feels. It's short-sighted and it becomes stressful. And we worry and we get, we get anxious 
But as followers of Jesus, desiring to be faithful to follow him and walk according to his ways, we live by faith in Jesus. We believe that he is with us and that he is actively involved in our lives, doing nothing but what is good, doing nothing but what is according to his perfect plan and according to his perfect wisdom and active in our lives without even an ounce of evil. This means when we walk by faith, this means that we believe and we trust more than just what is visible, more than just what seems to us and how we feel. It means that we trust God in our relationships, in our financial situations, in our careers, in our families, in our country, in all circumstances. We live by faith and we plant seeds of faith, believing that when we are faithful today, God will bless others tomorrow. We live by faith, by being obedient to him, even if it means enduring difficulties today. And we remember him. We remember him when things are easy and convenient. See, the word faithful in the Bible literally means fullness of faith. So the opposite of faithful would be faithless. And faithlessness says to God, I know better than you. If you would only just follow my plans, things would be so much better. And my situation just seems to be to me so wrong. It appears to be so wrong and so it must be wrong. And because you haven't done anything about it, then you must be too. See, but fullness of faith, our ability to plant seeds of faithfulness is possible because God, who is always with us, is always faithful to his word, always faithful to his promises, always faithful to his people, always. And it's because of his faithfulness that we can fully trust him, even if our circumstances appear to be otherwise. To be faithful to God is to walk by faith, and faith is the assurance, Hebrews 11 tells us, it is the assurance of things not seen. See, if we want to be more faithful to God in our circumstances, we have to start believing, I mean really trusting that he is with us. This is what it says early on with Joseph, that God was with him, and man, he believed it, didn't he? He knew it. God knows the circumstances that we're in. He knows every single thing about it. God knows the circumstances that you face when you leave outside this room. He knows about it. He's with you now. He goes with you to those circumstances. In fact, he even waits for you in those circumstances. So like Joseph, when we believe that, we can see beyond me, beyond what we're going through, to be able to say, you think you sold me? No, God sent me. You meant for evil? No, God meant for good. And so I can be faithful to him no matter what. I can be faithful in all matters because it all matters. I'll be faithful in all circumstances, in all of my relationships, and with, with everyone, everyone that I brush up against. And I will remember again and again. We are to remember again and again. Go back to the word of God. To be able to go back to the word of God and look again and remind ourselves about Joseph. Remind ourselves about Jesus. Remind ourselves that we don't live by faith. I mean, we don't live by sight. We live by faith alone. 
We walk by faith in a God that grows our seeds of faith and creates this harvest of blessing that benefits not just ourselves, but it grows through our neighbor's fences too. And God's harvest, it grows and it extends beyond our lifetime. It grows and extends beyond the little plot of land that God has given to us. It goes far beyond that. And it goes way beyond tomorrow. It extends outside of our life and out into eternity. We'll end with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not in vain, brothers and sisters. It's not in vain. It may seem that way, and you may not see immediate results, right? It usually isn't when it comes to God and his kingdom. But don't be deceived by appearances. God's unstoppable promise to us is that when we are faithful, when we are steadfast, when we are immovable, abounding in in the relationships and the circumstances that he has us in, his promise that it will amount to something. It is not in vain. That it amounts to something very special, something very valuable, something very much eternal in nature. What do you want tomorrow for your family and your friends? Do you want them to experience God's blessing? You want to bless your family, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your coworkers. What about your neighbors? How about your friends? How about your enemies? Do you want to bless them tomorrow? Then you need to be faithful today. Be faithful today and trust in God and the joy and the blessing of the harvest that he will bring about that will go way beyond your lifetime and way outside the realm of the little plot of land that he's given to you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be here. We're so grateful that you have control of things, that you are a sovereign God and you, God, are with us. And you were active in our lives. You were active in the globe. You were active in our neighborhood and in our church. You were were doing things and and your wisdom uh, makes it so that you were doing exactly the right thing all the time. Help us to trust you for that. Help us to believe that truly, that you are that God and that you go before us. And that you will take the faithfulness that we give to you today in our obedience, uh, in our generosity, uh, in our compassion, in our love, as it overflows from our faithfulness to you. We pray that you take those things and you grow them, you multiply them 50-fold, 100-fold. We pray that it grows and advances in our families. And we pray that it grows and advances in our neighborhood. We pray that it grows and advances in your church and worldwide. We pray that our lives would be used by you. We know that you can do it. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.